Welcome to the Global Mission Sync Podcast. Today's episode features Brian Hannigan with a message called Lessons from Ezra and Nehemiah. What's been on my heart is um, to do a bit of a study with you in Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, it's a good thing for all of us that I haven't been left with very much time. (laughs) More for you. But I've been really enjoying what God has been speaking through these books. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah, First um, uh, and Second Chronicles, it seems they were the author of those books was Ezra. He was quite a writer, a chronicler. But I believe that these books have relevance to the church today, and we will focus on the importance of rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and we will enter, uh, we will uh, examine how it pertains to your ministry and your gifts and how they contribute to what God is doing today. Uh, God is interested in gifts and ministries. And I just, I'm going to do a preamble. I don't know how far God is going to allow me to get into this, but I shared this testimony last, yesterday with someone and, and they acted like they'd never heard it before. So you can too. <laughs> but they, there is something unique about this people and this move of God. And how do we say that without sounding exclusive, like we're better than, and we just don't want to go there at all. We're, we're, he, God just took uh, the lame and the halt and the maimed and brought us together, and he's trying to work with us. But the things that he's promised us is that we would enter into sonship and he's given us a foundation and an order that is going to be successful in bringing us to the fullness of sonship. And the fullness of sonship is more than eternal life. It is resurrection life. God has resurrection life for us. Glory to God. And I, I, I recounted how when I was a beekeeper, I went to a beekeeping convention. Beekeepers even do that. And at this convention uh, in Saskatoon, uh, there were, uh, I, had, I had to leave to use the restroom. You didn't need to know that. But when I came back, uh, I went into the wrong convention. And I just stepped into the entrance, and right away I knew that I was in the wrong convention. And I don't even know what it was, but let's say it was a John Deere convention. And God spoke to me because I'd gone through a testing time where I had left my calling for a time, at least in my heart, and I had become confused by mingling with other doctrines. And I had kind of lost my way, pretty badly actually. And in fact, there were evil spirits involved in it, and I needed that deliverance as well. And so uh, what God revealed to me there is if you went into the John Deere convention, you would hear the truth from sincere people that would genuinely help them with their endeavors and that they would they would benefit from what was being taught there but if I wanted to be a beekeeper I better get back to the beekeepers convention because that's where I would learn how to do what I was supposed to do and and this really applies to uh, what God is doing to bring forth a first fruits company, a sonship company. And that's not an exclusive thing. It's just I picture an arrow flying and it's just the tip 
of the whole thing entering first, but the, the rest will follow behind in God's order. It says every man in his own order. Praise God. So it's really important that we pay attention to the calling that God has for us and what he teaches us and in the system that he's using to teach us because that's important. I just wanted to give you a brief history leading up to Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, the, they were, uh, I'll just start with Abraham. He came out of the Ur of the Chaldees uh, and from Haran went into Israel. And he was there for quite some time and had Isaac and then Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons and one of them was Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery and he was sent into Egypt. Uh, God was, God's hand was upon Joseph. He was uh, put in a place of prominence and uh, began to rule. And then eventually uh, the Jews left the promised land to go into the land of Goshen to, uh, to be cared for under the, under the guidance of, uh, of Joseph. And then uh, there were 430 years they were in uh, Egypt, and many of the, those years they were in slavery. Now, it's really hard to remember what it was like 430 years ago, and I'll give you a little perspective. 430 years ago from now, King James authorized the King James Bible. We know nothing about that time, and I imagine the children of Israel knew nothing about 430 years before, except the, that they kept the, the uh, chronicles alive, the stories alive. Um, and so it's as we are passing the 70 years, it's important that we rehearse what God has done for us so that we don't lose our focus. There's nothing about it uh, by the third generation it will fail. Some people like to prognosticate, is that the word? Um, never used it before. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I fooled you. Uh, but but there's there, God's just going to take his people on. And, and he's willing and we're willing. And we can't get our, our attention diluted by the good things that he's doing in other places. We need to concentrate on what he's doing here because what he's doing here is part of the whole. It's not, it's not unique. And eventually everyone will enter in. I think that 70 years ago, the young people who were at the Bible school here thought, well, this is the best thing that's ever happened to Christianity, that the order of God is restored, the New Testament promises are, are the New Testament pattern uh, has been restore, <clears throat> restored. All of the things that God revealed in, in uh, back 70 years ago uh, uh, were confirmed in the scriptures, and they thought Christianity is just going to embrace it, right? <clears throat> so far, <clears throat> not. <clears throat> but anyway, 430 years of in, in the uh, land of Egypt, and then uh, through Moses, they left, uh, were in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they moved into the promised land uh, under Joshua, and they were 800 years in, uh, in that promised land, but they would not obey. There was three things that always dogged their steps. One was alcohol. The other was sexual impropriety. Not sticking to what God said, a man and a woman shall be married, and that's the, that's the arena for that relationship. Uh, but they wandered away from those things. And the third thing was idolatry. They got focusing on things that became more important than God. It's happening to us. 
It's very easy. We're, we're as vulnerable as they were. Amen? So we have to be watchful and careful and vigilant. And I think it says in the book of Hebrews that we don't let this thing drift away from us. And that's a, a, a if you look at the, uh, the passage there and you look at the Greek, it's a nautical term of a boat wanting to go into the safe port, but it drifts past that opportunity and can't get in. And so we don't want to drift past the opportunity that God has given us. We want to take responsibility for what he's shown us. So the three areas of failure, dealing with alcohol. God does not want a people who are under any influence except the Holy Spirit. They will be the ones that, that will be in charge of the kingdom. And if you had a very expensive Maserati, uh, would you uh, turn the keys over to someone who was intoxicated? No, you'd want them to be uh, really focused and have uh, be under good influence. So we don't need other influences. Sexual immorality will change doctrine. When, uh, Brother York said to me that he saw when people uh, began to compromise in areas of, of the, the sexual area, that they began to adjust their doctrine to fit their lifestyle. And idolatry is just something that we need to be doing during this camp is examining, and me included, the things that have become so important in our lives and that happened here. We'll just read on. Uh, so when they backslid, uh, the prophets warned them, and these prophets were Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, Joel, Amos, and Micah. They warned them about what they were doing was wrong, and, they pay, and the Jews paid no heed, and uh, Babylonians, Assyrians, and Persians came in and captured the land, even as the prophet said it would happen, and uh, this became their judgment. And so Jews were taken into captivity in 586 B.C., 586 years before Christ was born. And they, they were some of those captives were Daniel, Ezekiel, and Esther. So in that period of time, there were still Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in captivity, but they were walking with God. Um, so I, I'll just... Then 48 years after the Babylonians besieged Judah and took captives, God put it on the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to send a contingent of Jews back from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. <clears throat> Brethren, do I have to stop at in 10 minutes? Can I have a little more time? Okay, it's okay. I want to do something that might interest the children here, and maybe we'll... I better not. I'll do it another time. I just wanted to describe what the temple and the, and the city looked like. I'd like to have that visual. We'll do it another time. So uh, in Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, that's Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, that says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to, to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people, May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel, which is in Jerusalem. So 
There was the king of, of Persia, Cyrus, who sent a contingent of Jews. He gave them uh, an invitation to leave the captivity in Babylon and go back to Israel and rebuild. And 42,000 volunteers left the Babylonian area and went back and had a heart to rebuild. And the city of Jerusalem, it represents the church. The city represents the church, the body of Christ. And you can see that in Revelation. And the temple represents where the church worships. Where the church worships. And God has, has shown us in this move of God... Uh, how gifts and ministries operate for the building of that uh, holy place. And so the, the gifts and ministries that have been given to you and to me through prophecy and the laying on of the hands of the, pre- of the presbytery are part of the rebuilding. Let me throw this in right now because it occurs to me. Do not look for a church that feeds you. Look for a church where you feed one another. If you go there to be fed, then you're a baby. But you go to a church where you're feeding one another because it says in Ephesians chapter 4 that the body makes increase of itself in love by that which every joint supplies. And we will come to perfection because we need one another. And I think, I may have to just put this in a nutshell. I think God wants me to do that. Ezra and Nehemiah came back. Uh, first of all, it was Zerubbabel and, and, and a man named Joshua came back and began to uh, rebuild the temple and they got the foundation laid and then some people came from Samaria in the north and Judeans who had never gone into captivity and they began to discourage the ones who were rebuilding who, who had been captives and who came back with a vision to rebuild. And they discouraged them and they sent letters to the kings and, and interfered and, and criticized and actually they offered to help, but they had no heart for what was the truth. So they, they, they interfered and the, and the rebuilding of the, of the temple stopped for many years. They built for two years and then it stopped for, I, I wrote down for about uh, 14 years. It just stopped because the people got discouraged. And then Ezra came along and he said, uh, the Spirit of God said to him, let me find that, it's important. Uh, Ezra, I'll see if this is Ezra chapter 5. I'll read Ezra chapter 5, verse uh, 1. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Jerusalem and in in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Uh, then let's turn to Haggai. These are companion books um, that are really fun to read together. But they're hard to find. <laughs> Haggai. I used to have. It's Haggai chapter 1. And a very important verse 
here that the Lord really highlighted and, and wants uh, this emphasized. So give your absolute, like Brother Robert said, give your laser attention to this verse. And that's Haggai chapter 1, verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Saints of God, we can very easily become too interested in things other than the church. We can become really captivated with our houses, with our homes, with our properties, uh, with our travel, uh, and, and neglect the joy of the church. And I believe that this morning God wants to, us to refocus on the, the basic building blocks and get back to rebuilding the church. And I will prophesy to you, and God says to you, if you will look after my house, I will look after yours. Amen? If you will look after my house, if you will look after the church, if you will look after your family in the Spirit of God, if you will look after your marriage, if you will look after your relationships in the body of Christ, I will look after the details for you. You may say, and I know that this is a problem, you say, I don't have time, but I want to tell you, God wants you to meet b- before Him every day personally. I'm going to be the first one to put up my hand. I have trouble giving God time every day. How about you? God, help us. And He will. Let's get joyful. I go out for coffee with the Lord now because I love coffee, but... <laughs> I, I need. I, I want to go out for coffee and meet with him, and just him and me together, just having that one-on-one with him and talk to him. I'm, I'm learning. I want to spend more and more time with him, not hours, but consistently daily meeting with him. But we don't have time for family worship because we're so busy. But you give God the first fruit of your life. And he'll make time because he's the God of time. He'll give you more. He'll give you the longest 24-hour days you have ever can imagine. And he'll give you good sleep as well. He's the God of time, isn't he? And you put, if we put him first, Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, do right things, uh, and all these things will be added unto you. Do we believe today? Do we believe today? Let us say to the Lord, I believe. I believe, O Lord. Praise God. So God wants us to be devoted to the family altar. God wants us to love our local church. And they, I, I want to inspire you to, if you love those, those areas of the Bible, uh, Ezra Nehemiah, even Chronicles. See what God is doing there. Haggai, Zechariah, how the prophets ministered to them. But he said, don't be concentrating on your paneled houses. Well, do you want to come over to my house and see what I do? I concentrate way too much on my home. 
but I am God's, God is, is, it's okay to look after those things, but to love the church first. Amen? So I, I have, I want to ask you uh, a silly question. If I uh, was to ask you all to stand and to just move into the area where your local church uh, is, and a bunch of you from each local church, you find your area, and then you could all get together this morning. You could do that, right? You could find one another from the church in Calgary and, and gather in one area, and the church from Winkler could find one another, and you could find a spot here. I've got something even better than that. Find each other next Sunday. Yeah. Seriously. Find each other next Sunday. Enjoy your church. I might even say this. Why don't you... Today's Wednesday. Oh, Tuesday. (laughs) I really think it's Wednesday. A week from tomorrow, why don't you find your church at prayer meeting? God wants you to. Maybe the whole family can't go. But your family can be represented there and you can be crying out to God together and looking to Him and start rebuilding the church because when the temple was rebuilt, I want to tell you it says that there were people there who had seen the first temple. They, When they left Jerusalem, they saw the temple in its glory and then they saw it being destroyed by the conquering nations coming in. But these ones that were born over in Babylon, they'd never seen the temple. When they saw it finally finished, they were rejoicing so loud, but the ones who'd seen it before were weeping because it just it didn't hold a candle to the original. But the Spirit of God came on the prophets and they said the glory of the, of the last temple will be greater than the former temple. And I want to tell you, saints of God, the church that he's building, which is you, it may look like a motley crew, but in God's eyes, it's a prize. And, and it's going to spread. And if we will be faithful to the Lord and we'll walk in His ways and we'll pay attention and strengthen one another, forgive one another when we rub shoulders and it doesn't feel good. Like Brother Wayne said, it was such an important uh, testimony about how when when things go wrong, we need to get back to righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit as soon as possible. Just eight miles later, do it. <laughs> right? Eight, just go a little ways and then come to your senses and say, I've got to fix this with your help, Lord. We've got to fix our churches, not by criticizing one another. You know, there's nothing worse than sitting down at a table where there's a critic and you can't enjoy your meal, and they just complain about everything. It's not up to... But you, could en- you can enjoy. You can enjoy being together. And, and don't come to church on Sunday empty. But I tell you what, if you're meeting with the Lord on a daily basis, and you're meeting as a family uh, six days a week, and then you come to church on Sunday, you won't be empty. God will look after that. You'll be, you'll be filled. It's very tempting to let these things slide. And when one thing slides, the next thing slides, pretty soon you're not going to church. It's, it's so dangerous. God is going to perfect a people in congregations, congregation by congregation. He knows how. These things that God revealed over the years are not random. What's happening in your local church and you gathering the way you do under the eldership, 
we, uh, we have to confess we have forced our elders to bring messages because we aren't bringing the, uh, our vessels full. Is that right? That was a pretty weak. Did I, did I not come across? We have put lots of pressure on our elders because they've been forced to bring messages when we aren't doing our part. Is there an amen in the house? Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us. Uh, it should, there shouldn't be a year go by and you haven't contributed something. I think we need more testimonies in our meetings. Amen? I think after that testimony meeting, some of us went into the, the dining hall and a, a sister uh, said, uh, I'd like to share a testimony at the table. And she shared the testimony and then she said to me, is there something happening in your life that you'd like to testify about? And I was able to share with her, uh, with the table there, a struggle that my wife and I are having in our neighborhood. Serious, serious struggle. And, and we, need to, we need to bring righteousness and peace and joy to our local church, to our family. Young people, it's, I, I want to tell you, it's a good thing mom and dad are in, my parents are in heaven. They may be listening. But I, my dad never missed devotions in our family ever. There were six devotions a week, week after week, year after year. I was never that consistent. But God helped Marjorie and me to get it back on track, and that's what he's wanting us to do. But God speaks to you in your family worship. And I remember coming home from university, and my dad still had the same boring devotions. Read the scriptures, sing a song, and pray. But my brother, my youngest brother, Neil, said, uh, recently, when my parents passed away, he said that the, the layer after layer of the Word of God was being put in our hearts, unbeknownst to us. The seed was being put there, and a lot of, of investment was being put in us. And I came home from university once, and we had another one of those um, seemingly meaningless devotions. And then we got on our knees to pray. And while I was on my knees, is this okay, dear? The Lord said to me, Marjorie will be your wife. I knew who was talking to me. That won't happen to you because you don't need two-by-fours in the head like I do. I wouldn't have had a clue. But that's what happened in, in family worship. God will speak to you in your private devotions. God will speak to you in your family altar. Make the family worship something that reflects the age group of your children. And then when you, when your children leave home, enjoy that fellowship together as husband and wife. Let's let God get us excited. I tell you, we are going to see one another in resurrected form because of the sacrifice and the glory of Jesus Christ. And his glory will fall on us. We're going to see that happen. And it might not look very promising now, but we're not. Jesus said the kingdom of God doesn't come by observation. It's by the Spirit of God in us. And so don't minimize what God is doing in us but he is doing a work, and if we will yield to him, if we will give our all, if we will follow in the pattern of rebuilding uh, the church, rebuilding those altars that have fallen down, oh, I tell you, we're, we'll just see the glory of God fall on us. We'll see answers to prayer. We'll see healings like we've never seen before. We'll see deliverance like never before. Are you with me?
Are you with God? We're not going to deviate. We're going to press in more than we ever have before. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.